All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast, uh, where we are creating content to help photographers build sustainable businesses. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I am joined by Anna Johnson, who actually, by the way, has been on the podcast once before for like a mini episode, right, Anna? Yeah, it was great. I mean, this is, I guess that was about a year ago. We did some mini, was it a year or two years ago? Um, I think that was a year ago and it was also in um, Vegas during WPPA. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I took my equipment out there and I just did these little mini interviews, which is actually kind of fun. I'm going to have to go back and do that sometime. Nonetheless, I appreciate you coming back for a full interview, a normal interview, air quotes. Um, And we're going to actually talk about something that's really interesting. We haven't really dealt a lot with posing for portraits and more specifically boudoir portraits on this podcast before. And so we're going to get into some really helpful, practical information today. I'm pretty stoked about it, actually. Before we do that, though, we normally kind of jet through a number of questions I like to ask all of my guests that are coming on as much as possible. We'll start with one, uh, which is interesting, particularly in the context right now, the coronavirus. Many, if not most of us, are either locked at home or at home most of the time. We're not shooting. How are you currently providing the best possible experience for your customers, especially in light of, of coronavirus? Um, I think being present online, um, I know I've discussed with you in the past that having an open communication, being present is important. So being open and present online, as well as um, offering the ability to do um, Skype viewing sessions online for those clients who would normally come in and do a viewing session. So just consistency and presence online. I mean, I guess people are not so ironically, really, that's where they're going at this point, because they're at home, what else are they going to do? Um, at some point, they they're tired of talking to whoever is in their house with them. So they want to go online and, and be entertained or just kind of browse social media. And you're talking about being present there. I mean, are you posting more regularly or in your stories more often? Like, what does that actually look like practically? Um, well, I actually already have kind of a good social media schedule planned okay. out. And okay. so um, I have people who are taking over my Instagram, doing Instagram takeovers. And then I've been popping in a little bit more just on live through Instagram. Most of my following is on Instagram or my VIP group. So okay. I've been just going in on live and saying, hey, you guys, what are you doing today? Scheduling just fun coffee dates with the client is just kind of been nice because they're bored like you mentioned. So just having the ability to um, sit down with a cup of coffee and just chat with them about life and about what's going on. It's kind of just been nice. Well, and you do have quite the presence on Instagram. It looks like 12,000 followers. That's nothing to bat an eye at. And by the way, for anybody listening in, if you go to, of course, Instagram.com slash boudoir ego, B-O-U-D-O-I-R, EGO, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, the website's actually the same thing, boudoirego.com. By the way, give a little bit of context. I think you and I were even talking about this in Vegas, but give a little context to the name of the brand, if you will. So, um, boudoir ego, obviously, you guys know, most people know the word ego just means um, having confidence or having um, some sort of feeling about yourself. So boudoir ego is reaching out to the client who just wants to learn to be and exist and feel confident in herself and in who she is as a female and as a woman. Well, and that's, I mean, that I guess kind of sums up what your brand position is ultimately, mm-hmm. right? And that was going to be my next question. Um, ego, a lot of times has kind of a negative connotation. Have you had to, to combat that as far as people's understanding or perception of the brand? Um, I feel like I did at first, but I feel like nowadays with a few of the songs like coming out there about being having a big ego and about owning yourself, I think that it's kind of had this shift where people are starting to realize that it's not a bad thing to be feeling good about yourself. It's about where you take it to the next level after that and um, not making other people feel bad about themselves, but understanding and recognizing that you can have confidence and you can have a big ego and they can too. And it's just as amazing and that it's not something that's competitive towards each other. Hmm. Yeah. That's actually a great word. Competition or, or being competitive. It seems like when ego has, does carry that negative connotation, a lot of it has to do with I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're talking about is owning your confidence or owning your beauty. I mean, on, on the homepage of your site, boudoirego.com, the text at, at the top with that header image is you are beautiful, own it, girl. And you're really speaking to the significance of owning your your beauty. And you're ultimately mm-hmm. there as a photographer to capture that, um, which is exactly pretty interesting concept. And it definitely is culturally relevant right now. There's a lot of conversation around these ideas. So that's that's important as well that you're doing that. 
let's kind of shift gears though. I mean, away from your brand and let's talk about time management. I mean, time management right now, again, is kind of an interesting thing. Um, somebody or our listeners right now may be hearing a little bit of conversation in the background. Your husband's at home working. Of course, you're at home working. You're not in your studio. And what does time management, particularly right now, but in general, what does that look like for you? Are there certain ways that you're able to continue to be a successful business owner, but then also make time for yourself and for your family? Well, yeah, usually normally I'd be in my studio right now and I pretty much have set hours. So I show up at about 8, 30, 9 o'clock and I leave at about four o'clock and I have all my studio work and my computer and stuff is at the studio. So when I go home, I can't work because I yeah. literally, I mean, I have my laptop, but there's no editing. There's nothing I can do. And I purposely do that so I can get away from it Okay. at home. It's been a little interesting. My schedule has been all over the place yeah. because um, right now I'll randomly get up at like 10 o'clock and then I'll be like, <laughs> I don't feel like going on the computer. Yeah. And so I won't go on until like five o'clock and then from five to 1 a.m. I'm working. Mm. And so <laughs> it's um, it's been off. I'm trying to kind of figure this out right now because it's a little different, but it is where I started off. So like I just need to set a schedule for myself. And I do know that I think having a schedule is important and sticking to that schedule is important. Um, I'm just guilty of not doing that right now. <laughs> I think all of our schedules right now are just a little bit off. Yeah. I, I found myself even putting more hours in than normal. And then was it yesterday? I just, I was like, oh my goodness, this is enough. I've got to shut down for a, for a bit. And I was able to get out of my house slash office and uh, it was good just to take a break, even for two or three hours to kind of get away from it all because I'd just been going so hard. But yeah, our schedules, especially right now, kind of vary here and there, up and down, not necessarily the most consistent hours. But to your point, I think it is important. Again, it seems like a simplistic idea, maybe to some of our listeners, but the idea of being intentional about the schedule that we put in place, A, mm -hmm. and then to coincide with that, the, the separation that you've created too in your normal schedule where you do go to the studio, that's where your work is. And when you're away from there, it's done because that's where the, the computer is. I like that, you know, because we have this tendency and I'm for those of you that uh, might see video, um, I'm, I'm holding up my phone right now. But this phone naturally goes with us everywhere, which means we have easy access to work everywhere if we want to. And learning how to shut that off can be a bit of a challenge. I know you said you walk away from the studio normally. The computer's there. How, do you turn off notifications on your phone as well? How do you create that separation in the evenings? Actually, I do. So, okay. um, and that's been kind of odd because I have my phone set and I haven't changed it that like at seven o'clock, I, it won't even ring. It literally, I don't get messages. It doesn't ring. I'll be on like Facebook at like seven o'clock right now, goofing around. And my friends will be like, I've been trying calling you and you have not been answering your phone. <laughs> Whereas normally I set my phone down and then I don't, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on the internet. Like I will make dinner for my family and then I will usually on Netflix and chill the rest of the night. That's yeah. kind of like my, my thing. So, um, yeah, it's been, again, this has kind of like been a little interesting cause I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with today. And so, um, and I don't like, like, I love watching TV, but, um, I'm not one to just like sit there all day and watch it. Like, sure. I don't even usually turn on the TV until six o'clock. That's kind of like my rules. And so in between then it's just me like, Oh, well, I guess I'll be on Facebook or I'll guess I'll do this. Um, it's been a little distracting. I do. I definitely have to get that back in gear for the meantime. Well, I think we'll give everybody a little bit of grace during this time, right? I mean, it, it's it's not what we're used to for sure. But I think what you explain, especially for your normal schedule, is a really great reminder. A, be intentional about hours. B, create separation distinction between work and so-called personal life. I, I realize it never gets totally separated. But at the end of the day, we need to, to be intentional in, in creating some type of distinction and separation um, and we can do that with the tools that we have. We can't blame it on the fact that we have the easy access to technology all the time. I mean, you, you pointed out the fact that you can put your phone on like a do not disturb mode and it takes care of it. Um, you just have to be intentional about that. So that's a great reminder. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk about um, outsourcing or delegation. I hesitate to use the word outsourcing because I think it's had, first of all, it's had negative connotation in years past, but then outsourcing tends to, to, at least in the photography industry, be automatically aligned with editing, which is a bit of a misnomer because ultimately we're just talking about delegation, handing a task or a set of tasks over to someone else or another company that could be editing, but it could be a number of other things. Is this something that you experimented with in, in your business? 
Yeah, it's actually something we do. All of our finances, we talked about a little bit earlier, you had asked how my business was doing. And I was saying, luckily, my business partner and I have three months um, set up. And part of that is because we actually have a CPA. Mm. Um, We always have had someone uh, manage all of our finances. So one, it makes it easy. So her and I are not having to talk about that together. We're not having to get in this argument as business partners. Um, But also, if you don't know how to do finances, and it's not your strong point, doing the QuickBooks, doing the taxes and understanding business and incorporated taxes, because we are an incorporation, then I highly recommend outsourcing that and having a professional who knows what they're doing to help you. But also just understanding that that because of those professionals and times like these when the world is like really just difficult times for everyone, it really helps because they're setting you up for things like this in preparation. We have been very thankful and very glad to have um, a CPA and a professional who's accounting and doing all of our business financing. That's great. And can't be stressed enough. We've, I've talked about it so many times on the podcast. I, I fell short in this big time when it came to running my photography business. I just wasn't proactive and I didn't have, I really didn't have perspective because I didn't have perspective. There was a certain amount of fear attached to managing finances and handling sales tax and paying income tax and all this stuff. Um, and, and I just, I let that get the best of me and it ended up hurting me pretty significantly. So mm-hmm. The, the idea of, of being able to hand that thing over that not only we don't, we're not professionals at certainly, and that may even cause some apprehension to somebody else who knows what they're doing, who can make recommendations and we let them run that. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that you can point out, hey, look, we've got our business has got savings in place that enable us to not be totally freaked out right now while we're not mm-hmm. able to generate revenue because we had somebody there helping us, guiding us, showing us how to do things. I mean, this is a beautiful example and I cannot recommend enough to our listeners. Yes, you should be getting set up with QuickBooks online. So that's in place, income, expenses, all that's being entered in regularly, whether you do it or a Mm -hmm. bookkeeper does it, but ultimately at least get a CPA there who can be your guide in this realm. It'll make all the difference in the world. It does. And, you know, um, understanding too, like the different business entities or options that you have from sole proprietorship to incorporation to LLC. Yeah. Um, we have an incorporation. And so again, we, we are actually paid out through our companies. My business partner and I are W2 employees. And so it's with all the benefits that are out there for employees right now. Um, it's stuff that we're able to actually get. Yeah. And so that's huge in times like this, because a lot of people who have a sole proprietorship, what they don't realize is the government looks at that as a hobby. Um, mm. That is, that is what even the sole proprietorship, like is it'll title. If you have a hobby, this is what you should do. Wow. But unfortunately it means that there's really not that many, um, benefits that the government gives you as having that. And on the flip side, you do save money and you save taxes at the end of the year when you're filing. But if you're making a lot of money through it, there should come a point where you should turn that into an LLC or an incorporation to protect you. So you do get the governmental benefits in times like these when they're offering stuff for um, employees. And when they're offering stuff to businesses, also you're able to get a get those benefits towards the business because you're an LLC or an incorporated company as well. So this kind of is like a, a good lesson, I feel like, for people who have not um, taken that next step in their business to really say, hey, you know what? I was making a lot of money. I probably should have at some point moved into an LLC or an incorporation. And because I didn't, this might be hurting them. This is kind of like a life lesson to say after all of this to go get that LLC, go incorporate your company and um, take advantage of the benefits that are out there as, um, as a legal entity. That's, I mean, we could literally stop the podcast right now and our listeners would have extremely valuable information to go act on. And and sadly, I think probably most of our listeners, um, and not sadly in, in that it's a criticism in any way, it's just, again, as photographers, and I can speak from personal experience, I was like, oh, I want to be a photographer, right? So I just mm-hmm. jumped in and I started shooting weddings and portrait sessions and I just did the thing. The idea of financial management was so outside of me and my understanding and my perspective. And I mean, for that matter, I was a kid when I started. I was like 21 or something like that. So I just had no idea. Right. And, and what you just shared in those couple, you know, two or three minutes, if, if any of our listeners have not gone and established um, an LLC or have incorporated for the sake of being able to capitalize, you know, do something like capitalizing the benefits, as you pointed out, that the government is, is handing out at the moment. 
Um, that in and of itself could be a valuable lesson and something to go act on. But mm-hmm. what that can mean for tax benefits uh, or tax purposes, ultimately, this is something that you're going to want to talk to a CPA about. If you don't have a CPA yet, then make sure that you go find one immediately. Um, I mean, the CPAs are even able to work remotely at this point. So this is this is someone you can probably even reach out to. Yeah, you, my CPA is actually in Nashville, too. I don't even cool. use a California CPA. So, okay. um, you know, there's a lot of CPAs out there. And if they understand the taxes in your state and understand how to file taxes, which most CPAs do, then you're going to be set. And it's um, important, too, that if you're working for companies internationally, which I do as well, and I'm contracted through a photo lab in Canada. And when you work for international companies, it's important to understand that you need to find someone who's used to working with international tax as well and how to properly file that. So just a tidbit tip, if you're shooting in internationally or if you're working internationally at all, find a CPA who understands how that's going to work within taxes and um, filing taxes. Perfect. You all heard it. Go do it. If if it's not been done yet, make sure you get to that right away. This is a great opportunity while things are a bit slower to, to put some of these systems in place. It's really important. Talk to us about inspiration, Anna. I mean, it's easy to to scroll Instagram as photographers, right? Or get on Facebook or maybe go look at blogs or websites. But are there areas outside of the photography industry that you find inspiration for the sake of your business? Yeah, actually, I do from watching TV. Really? Okay, how so? <laughs> um, so like there's shows out there. I mean, honestly, any show I could just, but throw, throwing like one that's an easy one would be like watching glam masters and they do makeup and it's creative makeup and really just like going, Oh wow. You know what? Like that's kind of a cool look. And it sparks a little idea for you going, Oh my gosh, I can do something like that. And then, and then for me, my brain just runs wild with that idea. So the moment that that idea is sparked, it's like, I've already created something that's outside of the picture of what I was watching, Mm. but it sparked an idea. So there's like, you have Before in the day, it was America's Next Top Model and um, shows like that, that are reality shows or runway shows or fashion shows or watching and following fashion in general really helps. Okay. And helps for the sake of just perspective and the way that you're approaching having makeup done, posing, what what things are you you learning from those shows? Kind of both. Um, For creative ideas on makeup, creative ideas on what the next thing is that people are going to want to wear because people like to follow the trends. And even if they're the everyday person in some way, because of stores following trends in some way, they're required to follow fashion trends, Hmm. even if it's just the colors, because again, the store that they're shopping at, even like old Navy is going to have what's in fashion always. And so, you know, they're going to, they're going to kind of gear towards that. And it might be a little, it might maybe like me, I usually only wear black, white, and gray. So my style stays pretty consistent, but the actual like type of shirt that it is will change. It goes from loose to baggy to tight to wearing only like body suits and stuff. And it's just kind of changes with fashion and that's how fashion changes. And then my color just stays the same, Okay, so, you know, kind of following fashion is important, but also um, when it comes to posing, a lot of the posing that I get is from watching um, just human interaction and seeing online, like actors and actresses have mastered mm. how to really portray human interaction. And so if you are wanting to really like get a pose that just feels real and feels like emotion and you want to get a feeling behind that pose, watch something that you see feeling behind. And when you're watching it and I mean, cause we live it every day, but a lot of times we're not seeing us. Yeah. So when you watch it, like on a movie or on TV, then you're able to see that. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I see that emotional connection there. I see that couple that's, you know, that's touching each themselves. Or I see the girl when she's looking in the mirror and she's looking at herself. That's the look that I want. I saw that on that actress and that's the look I'm going to try to get my client to do because that's mm. probably how she does it. Okay, And then I think that that comes with also learning how to communicate that feeling, Um, really studying, again, studying what you see and saying, how can I communicate that this is how I want her to have a feeling? How do I communicate? I want her to feel, you know, 
I want her to feel gorgeous or how do I communicate this to her? Hey, look in the mirror and feel gorgeous. That's just not going to work. So learning how to communicate the pose that you see um, so you can get the emotion that you want, Um, whether it's pain. Sometimes you do want to portray pain in your photos Mm -hmm. and really trying to get your client and bring them out of their pain and um, getting them to feel that because people resonate pain in different ways. So if you just say, I want you to feel pain, they're going to be like, I don't know what you mean. Um, <laughs> can you give me a look of pain? They're going to be like, I, what, what do you mean? That's like, kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you need to be able to understand how to, um, I guess it, that comes down to like how to psychologically talk to them. So you can try to get that emotion out of them. Hmm. So they're not, they're kind of going through this emotion with you during the session as well, which um, I think also ultimately for a female, that's part of the psych psychology that helps a woman in a boudoir session is being able to take them through the emotion and take them through the pains and the hurts and the joys that they actually feel on a daily life. So when they leave, they feel great about themselves because you helped them conquer and go through that with someone. Wow. So you're not just a photographer. You're almost like a a pseudo psychologist, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that should be the new name. (laughs) Maybe. I take a lot of my past um, education through nursing Mm. and I do apply a lot of the psychology to um, a session because I feel like you can just do boudoir and shoot boudoir. But I really feel like boudoir is one of those types of things that you can psychologically damage someone if you are saying things to them that they don't realize or that you don't realize is actually emotionally hurting them. Mm. And it could be something simple as like a girl who's struggling with her weight or struggling with not feeling pretty simple as saying, okay, let's, let's not curve like that because we don't want that role to show. Let's go ahead and tuck that in or tuck in your stomach. Those things are like negative and people don't want to hear that and shouldn't hear that if they're um, struggling with body issues, because now they're, especially if like, if she's not, doesn't have a stomach and you're saying tuck it in right now or suck in your tummy, you know, sometimes that's such an easy thing for people to not realize that it's hurtful. But when you say suck in that tummy right there or stand up straight, we want to tighten that stomach up. She's going to be like, this is my stomach tightened. And now she's going to leave going, man, I don't feel, I feel like I'm fat. And that's not the goal. And that's not the point. So really understanding that your words are, um, they're like swords and they're sharp and you need to be careful with your words because they actually can stab people. Oof. Wow. Okay. I mean, another, like just full stop. We can end the podcast there. Big <laughs> lesson learned. We, that's, that's really valuable though. I mean, it, it's interesting to think and not just for boudoir, boudoir photography, especially for boudoir photography, not just for boudoir photography. It is on the photographer to, I, I think anyway. Uh, in fact, I saw this little clip from, um, Annie Leibovitz. Uh, there's this ad that's playing for a masterclass that she's teaching and there's, they play this clip and she's talking about how, uh, photographers are told that it's on them to help make the client feel better. And she's like, I don't believe that's, that's true. And I think I see where, I mean, it's just a clip, so I, I don't have the full context. I think where she's going is she wants to, to capture this, the, the raw version of this individual. And she can do that if she's not trying to make them feel all, you know, nice and warm and, and rainbows inside. But I think for the m- most part, at least for our job as quote unquote, normal portrait photographers, wedding photographers, certainly boudoir photographers, it is on us to help set the tone and an environment in which that person or those people can feel comfortable. And uh, especially when they are not just figuratively, but literally naked. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to, to hear words that are insensitive and you know potentially triggering in one way or another. Uh, I mean, I can only imagine putting a client in that position. That'd be the last thing that I'd want to do. So I, I appreciate that those thoughts and sharing your perspective. It's a good reminder for all of us as photographers to set the right tone um, for photographing our clients. Let me talk to you about um, reading, though, or it could potentially be listening, audiobooks business books, self-help books, is there a particular one that comes to mind that's made a big impact in your life in the last few years? Well, I think a lot of people have read Rachel Hollis's book on Girl, Wash Your Face. That's Rachel did an amazing job just really helping you. Um, She's more of like a life coach, but helping you combat the lies that you've been telling yourself. And realizing that as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, that those lies are, they're not true. And Mm. you just need to wash them off is basically like what she goes through and talks about. So um, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis is a big one. The other one would be Calm the Fuck Down by Sarah Knight, um, which is another one that I love that just 
helps you not take things so serious. And <laughs> yes. um, that was one that kind of helped me out a lot. Okay. Is, you know, just kind of like going, oh, wow, you know what? I need to chill out. Like, I don't need to be so controlling over this situation. Interesting. So those are the two books that, um, that I really loved. Yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm pulling this up right now on Amazon because this might be one that I need to read too. I it's uh, I there I have a tendency, and I was even talking to my son about it this, um, earlier today. I do have a tendency of letting things get to me at times, and and I go from I, I'm not one usually to kind of explode or you know yell or scream or anything like that. It's I, I tend to internalize it in a way. So, but it's it's seething underneath, and then that ends up putting me in this place where I'm on edge, and that can yeah. come out in the way that I engage with you know in, in personal relationships, professional relationships. I've gotten better in some ways, but there's still some work that needs to be done there, and a lot of it is tied back to this very idea of just being wound too tight. At the end of the day, I need to not take things so seriously. I need to chill out. Um, so I can very I, I was laughing, smiling because this is very much down and up my alley, I guess you could say. And I'm, I may have to look that one up and save it. Yeah, for later. So Sarah Knight is the one that does that. She also writes one. Um, I believe it's I want to say that it's get shit done. OK. Or something like that. And yep. both of those books are really good. Yeah, she's I feel like if I was a writer, she would she's like my spirit writer. And then I'm like, <laughs> that is yes. Like that. I'm like, that is that. Yes. Like yeah. that's just if I was to write a book, that's what I would write. And so reading it is very helpful because, you know, when you, when you do something, you do it from the soul usually. So I'm like, this was speaking to me. I'm, I'm added it to my list. Um, I've downloaded a sample. I'm gonna have to check that out later. That might just yeah, be the book, great. my next book. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to jump to our kind of our, our main, or the main part of our conversation, the primary focus today, which has to do with posing or maybe yeah. flow posing, we could call it for boudoir sessions. Uh, and you and I were chatting a little bit before I hit the record button. Some of the stuff you were telling me was just like, whoa. I mean, it was it was extremely practical and actionable, which I'm so big on for this podcast. I want our listeners to be able to walk away with something that they can do, go do. Um, yeah. and, and I think we're going to give that to them today. So let's give a little bit of context, first of all. How many years have you been shooting boudoir? Well, I started shooting boudoir when I was 16. Wow. So many years ago, but as a profession since 2013. Okay, so this naturally begs the question: sixteen-year-old shooting boudoir—that that like raises yeah. some eyebrows, probably. <laughs> Can you give a little bit of context to that, please? Um, well, it was more so like just me and my girlfriends would okay. shoot um, okay. in our in, in bras and underwear, sure, sure, or sure. like in our swimsuit, and it was just like me taking photos of my friends. At that time, I didn't even know what it was called. It was just that's what we did. Okay, and really, it was because whenever we and back then it was film, so like we would take our film, go develop it, which I'm shocked that they would develop nowadays. Oh they don't. man, yeah. So we would go develop it, take it to Kmart, go wait for it to be developed, <laughs> oh, pick geez. up our film. I know. Right. Yeah, I laugh. I'm like, everybody's seen me naked. Literally, the Kmart worker probably has. And my bra and underwear when I was 16. Oh, no. But <laughs> the feeling that my friends used to get and that we would get from looking at ourselves and realizing like, wow, you know, especially at that age, realizing, oh, my gosh, I've been, you know, comparing my stomach and not having a flat tummy to all these other girls who are fit or, Oh my gosh, like I don't have my cellulite, like it's not even really seen, hmm. but like I have one little dimple on my butt and I think that it's like the world's worst enemy. And so seeing myself really just built my confidence when I was young. Hmm. Um, and that, that was something that, that I loved doing because of that. But again, I didn't know what it was called because I don't even, I mean, I wasn't a professional photographer and you didn't have, the access to online and stuff. You just had books. And sure. I think it would have been considered porn and child porn likely. So, um, so yeah, technically when I was 16 was when I started, it's, it's probably not um, something that I should be admitting because looking back, <laughs> it's like, wow, I was 16, but I was 16 and that was my peers. The book of podcast does not recommend this for anybody out there. Just a little asterisk well, here. <laughs> you should not be photographing. And I don't even photograph anyone under 21. Oh, so, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but with that said, I was, that was my peers and I was just taking pictures of my peers. Yeah. And um, so that's where I think that started. But as a business in general, it was 2013. Okay. So we're talking about seven years or so professionally, a little bit of experience prior to that. That just kind of gives some context to the recommendations you're going to make um, specifically regarding posing. Now, did you learn posing just organically? I think maybe when you and I were talking, even in Vegas a, a month or two ago, you were talking about a course or two that you had learned from what, how did you learn these, this methodology ultimately? 
really, it's just taken time, to be honest. Um, a lot of it has just gone from, you know, I started off in my garage and just trying to figure out with my business where to go from there. And then from there, I partnered with a hotel and I was able to use the hotel suite every single time. Okay. And, and that changed the look of like what I was doing and really just kind of getting out of your head and realizing that poses that you do can be done anywhere and that you don't, it's not about the couch or the, um, the surrounding or the settings that you have. Mm -hmm. It's about taking the body and placing it and doing that anywhere, which goes back to why I said TV shows are great because you watch that and you're like, Oh, Hey, I can do that anywhere. I can do that next to a window. I can do that. So that, that right there is, I think where, um, yeah, really just growing through that and then having to force yourself to recognize, oh my gosh, I can do what I was doing in my garage in the hotel room. And then from there moving into a studio and I can do that. And then moving into a bigger studio, Hey, you know, yes, sometimes room does give you the option for more stuff in the studio, which allows you a more variety of a scene. Mm -hmm. But, um, ultimately you're taking the same poses and you're just putting them somewhere else. Makes sense. Okay. So a lot of it just comes from experience since it wasn't necessarily a particular course that you took or a photographer you learned from more from experience in general. Yeah. Um, there are photographers that have helped in my posing, um, like Jennifer Rosenbaum, who, um, is an amazing photographer and she's really good at her lighting. Jen, Jen and I have been friends for a long time. And so just little tips like pulling your underwear up and things that she's um, talked about that has helped at the beginning where I'm like, oh, yeah, girl, that was right. You did good on that. A lot of the educators and stuff as being a photographer for a long time, I kind of started off when they were starting off. And so a lot of the educators out there um, are are my peers and they're friends of mine. And so I've, I've watched them. I've seen them grow at theirs quite a few that I really admire their style. I lean more towards a natural organic style. So someone who I also really, really love as far as style work good would be Cara Marie okay. with Cara Marie Boudoir. And she's in Texas and um, her style in general is just a very, she, I mean, it's all black and white that she does, which mm. I love, but also it's just more natural and organic. Um And I really like that approach because, again, I really like trying to portray some sort of feeling or taking my client through their feelings during their session. So Jen Rosenbaum, that's R-O-S-E-N-B-A-U-M. Is that correct? Um, R-O-Z, I think. Okay. Well, we'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes. And then is it Kara Marie or Kiara Marie? Yeah, K A R A R K I R A. Okay. I should know this. Well, that's fine. We'll link link to... K-A-R-A, sorry. K-A-R-A. Okay. <laughs> we'll get it. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. By the way, for everybody listening in, um, whether it's you know the book recommendations or uh, talking points from the conversations, resources that we mention, all of these go in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. So make sure you take advantage of them. You'll see them there on the site. You'll also see them in your favorite podcast app if they have show notes. Take advantage for sure. Shout out to Haley for for putting all of those together. Um, but let's talk about posing. So uh, before we started recording, you were walking me through, there were kind of five main areas where you might photograph somebody and you take them step by step through these five areas. And you were talking about, I mean, being able to do something like 30 poses just in one of those, which is pretty fascinating, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to just, if you will, let's just walk our listeners through what a session might look like taking advantage of these five different areas, how you would break up poses at each of those. Okay. Yeah. So I start off in an area that's going to be based, that's going to be complementary with the first item they choose to wear. But let's just for talking sake, if you were starting off on the bed, you have a variety of poses that you can do from them laying down to, you know, laying on their stomach, laying on their side, laying down on their back, having their feet up on the wall, having their knees up, playing with their body, but also getting variety of those shots. So really holding a client in one pose and keeping that pose right there, moving forward, getting some close up shots of that pose of just their body, just the curves of their body, the curves of their chest, their face the facial expression that they're giving all from just that one spot, that one single pose and just moving around and shooting above them in the same pose from the side of them, from moving to the other side, getting the other side of the face and maybe squatting down, getting a lower angle from there. The next thing I would do from the bed would be moving them to half on the bed, half okay. off the bed, okay. meaning their, their legs are off the bed. Their back is on the bed. Mm-hmm. So I literally didn't go anywhere. I didn't move anywhere. And my client maybe moved 
their feet off the bed. Yeah. Um, I usually start that off with actually them sitting, um, half, uh, just sitting with their feet on the bed. And I get poses of them touching their hair, looking out, holding their, um, you know, holding their face to one side or holding their hand on their throat and looking up. And then from there, it's just scooting that bum and then laying back. And now you still have them half off the bed and you're getting poses of them standing back with their back just on the bed, their feet stretched out, leaning. Um, you could even do it where it's half off where their feet are on the bed and their head is down and their hands are down. So you can kind of flip it around where their body's half off the other way. Okay. Um, again, you get variety of that pose. And I think variety is the key point is keeping the one pose, but moving around them, squatting, shooting above, and then also getting each detail of each pose. So if their hand is touching their knees, get a close-up shot of their hand and their their leg and just that shot right there. If their hand's touching their throat, get a close-up of their face and um, feel that emotion that they're naturally getting you. Try to capture that within your photos because that's going to give you that close-up shot portrays emotion like crazy. And so you're going to feel that um, with a close up, it just kind of, for me, at least it speaks more volume. um, And it speaks more power when you're close up to them, and you're seeing their face close up, and you're seeing that hand touch their throat, or the hand grab onto their, their shirt, or their bralette, or whatever, their shoulder, or even just their hands grabbing onto their chest getting a close up of that says more than if you're standing away but you do want both of those because they right. say, speak two different emotions so i mean what you've described so far i mean just between the bed and then between the bed and the ground you could easily probably have come up with i mean i don't know what 30 An different entire session <laughs> I mean, yeah Literally. yeah i mean seriously and are you using one lens and just moving back and forth or are you mixing up the lenses as well so I don't actually change my lens. I okay. keep a 35 on the entire time. Nice. Okay. And I shoot with the 35. And because it's a 35, I am able to get close up and I'm able to get those distance ones. I have a lot of space in my my studio, but even if I didn't, a 35 is great for small spaces and being able to see everything in the frame. So Well, that but that simplifies things too, right? I mean, you don't have to think about changing a lens out. You just got that camera and then you're shooting and you're engaging with the client. Um, Mm -hmm. that, that really makes it easy. And and do you, or much easier, I should say, are you, and I know I'm kind of interjecting here a little bit, but just to get some context, are you using, is it, is it natural light most of the time? Or are you also using, um, external lights? So, um, we have a natural lit studio, but the sun goes down and then it's not lit. Right. And so when I do evening sessions, I actually do use, um, I'll use, sometimes I'll use continuous light and I'll use my ice light. Okay. Lately, I've been using a lot of flash and doing flash photography. It's flash is not something that I really enjoy because it's hard when people feel flash, they start to feel like it's a production and it changes their mood and changes their emotion behind the camera. And you can see that. So, um, I rather stick with continuous for that reason, but there are shots that I really want that I want to be bold, that I want to be more of like a fashion type of shot, depending on what they brought with them, where I will go ahead and grab out the um, flash. So I usually have it setting aside and I have my camera set up for it. The rest of the time, I'm just holding my ice light in one hand and shooting in the other. Wow. And what camera are you using too, just for further context? Um, I have a Canon 5D3. 5D Mark III. Okay, got it. All right, so we started on the bed, and then we go between the bed and the ground. We already have something mm-hmm. like 30, 40 shots, which is amazing. But let's, when the next step then is to go all the way to the ground? Yeah, so the next step from there is all the way to the ground. And again, now I start with them sitting up on, on the ground, but sitting with their butt up and their back against the bed. Okay. Uh, maybe legs partially staggered and stretched out a bit, and then kind of creating a nice arch between the bed. Mm. From um, again, I move around and get variety there. So in that one pose, usually I can get five or six shots out of one pose. Okay. But then from there, I just have a move straight down to the ground. So now they're laying on the ground, and um, I have poses of them arching their back and poses of them, you know, on their side on the ground. And they, you know, then maybe maybe I have them turn around where they have their bum um, facing me and they're halfway on the bed, but they're reaching out towards the bed, but their knees and everything are on the ground. And then I'll get all of those ground shots basically that you would do or that you would see on the ground. Um, those are all done right there. Okay. From there, I move straight 
just right over to my window. Cool. Um, I, my studio does have floor to ceiling windows, yeah. which is really nice. And so I, I put them against the wall. They're still sitting on the ground. I literally just say, scoot your butt on over a little bit. Okay. And um, now it's them looking outside the window, you know, looking out through the window or it's using that window light shining, having them open it up. So it's lighting up their face and getting variety of the actual creative shots playing with light. And right there is where I'm able to get my silhouettes. So I'll have them stand up. I'll have them open up the window. Sometimes while they're already on the ground, I'll have them get on their knees so I could get a nice silhouette of them and just a nice silhouette of their body. And so that's where I'm going to get a lot of the silhouette, but it's also going to get, it's also going to be where I do a lot of my creative light shots. Okay. Um, I can have them play with the curtains and open the curtains and shoot through the curtains. Oh, cool. So I get to do a lot of fun, creative shots. I also have some plants around there that I get to utilize to shoot through plants. Okay. I think the big tip is just really understanding that, especially with shooting through, you can get so much variety, but even just simply grabbing a plant, holding it in front of your camera and shooting through that plant to see uh, the grow on the back end. Yeah. It could be the same pose, but those two poses now, or that those two photos, the one that you had straight in front of the plant, and then the one behind the plant are going to have two totally different meanings and a totally different feel. 100%. And in that situation, you won't even, I mean, you don't, it doesn't matter where you step or you could even just bring in a plant if you don't have one and use that. And so um, that's kind of fun. Also using tools like, uh, I have like this glass ball. Um, and I also have a, what is it called? A prism prism. Yeah. And I'll use those just to kind of do creative lighting. Yep, yep. And, um, that's also fun to use during the boudoir session. And once you get, I don't recommend doing it on a client unless you know how to use it because sure. you're going to sit there playing with it longer than your <laughs> session. Sure. I only do one hour sessions. Okay. And so it's, I go through everything really quick, but I do, once you get the hang of it and you played around with it and you really understand it, it's as simple as grabbing it and saying, Oh gosh you know what this will the lighting looks perfect in here today this will be amazing and it's going to add that extra little prism effect to the image which is just going to just be something interesting that she's going to have that she's usually the clients love that stuff Hmm. the creative stuff so but you also have to make sure not to overdo it right like it would be easy to get totally caught up in this oh my goodness this prism is so awesome and then like 50 percent of the shots have the prism in and then it kind of kills the the excitement of it yeah, no, it's, I feel like it should be when I, I usually add something like that to all of mine, but it's, it's a tool. You use it as a tool, yeah. not as part of the actual whole session. It's yeah. something extra that you just throw in. Yep. And then some clients are not into those creative shots. They want more of the natural approach, not anything fun or creative. And so, um, you know, you don't want to give them too much because if they are the kind of client who's not going to like that, then you're going to end up with a client who hates everything. Sure. So you want to give them more of the standard stuff that they're going to see on your website, that they're going to see um, that they're looking at because that's why they ultimately came to you. And then you throw in a few of the other little things just to kind of give them like a little something extra for those ones that are going to really appreciate that. Yeah. No, that I appreciate you. I appreciate that perspective too, because I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I used to get, I was so obsessed with fisheye lenses back when I shot weddings <laughs> and I way overused fisheye for, for shots. I mean, it, not that it ultimately was that bad thing per se, but it kills the effect. Like if you, if you have five shots out of the 600 that you delivered to the client that you're using fisheye, it's that much more impactful. But if I'm using it mm-hmm. for, you know, 50 shots, whole different conversation. So yeah, using it selectively as kind of a bonus or a special effect, if you will, selectively is is really important. That's good. Well, and I think the key thing as a photographer is to understand and recognize that you are a photographer. You think creatively, Hmm. your clients likely not. So um, the things that you like, the artsy stuff, the artistic, the creative shots, a lot of times to your client, because they don't, they don't appreciate the work that went into making that. Not that they don't appreciate you. They just don't understand a lot of times um, those clients aren't really going to love those. That's not what they're going to be looking for. So like a fish Island, it's something that's cool because you're creative and you know, like, wow, that was kind of cool to create, but for a client, or or maybe I'm just bored because I, all I ever shoot with is, you know, the, the 17 to 35 or the 70 to 200. I'm like, Oh, something different. So I'm excited about it. But yeah, no, I, I mean, you make a brilliant point and it's applicable, not just here, but in general, whether it's, you know, the copy that we put on our website, the images that we display or otherwise, there's something to be said for, 
kind of, uh, I guess, letting our artist side come out and, and expressing that to a point. But mm-hmm. we have to understand at the end of the day, we're serving a client who, as you said, doesn't have the same tastes, doesn't even have the same context, the thought processes that we do as photographers. And the idea that we kind of push that on them and expect them to, to like it or to be drawn to it is a bit short-sighted. So I, I love this perspective. Right. And it's not an all or nothing um, you know, proposition. We can have some of the artistic, but understand that they're naturally going to be drawn probably to the less... Uh, I keep saying artistic. I don't know if there's a better word, but the less I'll put in air quotes, artistic shots, the less extreme shots, maybe. Well, and I think it, um, that comes down to, I know what we talked about in our last podcast, really set aside in your brand. If your brand is the brand that's like, Hey, I'm a high end fashion photographer and sure. I'm going to give you, you're going to have your body painted every single time you come in, or mm-hmm. you're going to have splattered paint on you, or I'm going to make you a canvas. And if that is what you're doing for them, they'll, those clients will come to you 100% because sure. they're expecting that. Yes. But if you are reaching the everyday person like my clients, my clients don't want to be turned into a fashion model because that's <laughs> not what they came for. Exactly. And so that's not the brand that I give them. And so ultimately staying true to your brand too. If you are a creative wedding photographer and you are shooting amazing creative shots or even just like HDR shots and you're getting all of your work is HDR, guess what? Your clients want HDR. So if you're going to give them light and airy, those clients, if one, all of a sudden you change it to a light and airy, when you do HDR, guess what? When they come back complaining that they don't like their images, it's because you changed it on them. Yeah. And what they see and what your brand represents is not what you're giving them. So staying true to what you offer and allowing yourself time to do creative stuff for yourself yeah. is important because there's times where I want to go all crazy and I do, but I do it for myself and not for my client. And I have a model come in and I play and I have fun and that's for me. And it's every single time I'm like, this is a session for me. And, but for my client, that's a session for them. And so, um, I keep it as that is letting those fun ones be for me and then maybe adding one or two things in there, but not going overboard with it and, and not trying to learn while they're there making sure that if I'm going to add it in, it's because I know already how to get it like that. Another mic drop for you, Anna, because we could, again, cut the podcast stuff right there if they just walked away with that one tidbit, because it really is applicable, not just to photography sessions, but just how we run our business in general. We do have to, we can't project our preferences on a client, especially if we're setting expectations, as you pointed out, to deliver one particular thing. And then suddenly we're like, oh, we want to do this and do that. And um, and it's true, not just with the photography, but also the, even the copy that we use in our website. Photographers have a lot of, mm-hmm. of a tendency, a lot of times of using words that we're familiar with within the industry and, mm-hmm. and that we might use in conversation with other photographers. And then we put that on the website, expecting a client that to resonate with a client. It doesn't make sense. So, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I'd love that you create this distinction. Really, really good information just to get back. Cause we actually have one more kind of area to, to talk about posing. And you talked about the bed, number one, between the bed and the ground, number two, then the ground, number three, four, you have the window, the shots around the window. Already, we probably have like 100, 120 I mean, uh, images mm-hmm. that are actually unique, which is brilliant. I love this. The fifth spot that you mentioned to me before we started recording was the couch. So take us there. So couch and bed both, I kind of feel like are, um, you don't have to have anything or even the ground. Honestly, couch is just another tool. So we'll okay. go back to the couch. Sorry, I went on a little. No, 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 it's good. I went yeah. on a little amateur tangent. From the couch, you have so much you can do with the couch. Yeah. You can lay down on the couch. You can use the couch as a bed if you don't have a bed and get all your bed shots that you would get by laying down on the couch. And then you have, um, so you get, I start off with laying down. I get all the ones of them first halfway sitting up, sitting up against the arm of the couch, then moving, scooting their bum down. So they're fully laying down onto the couch. And then from there, getting them up on their knees, um, looking out on the back side of the couch, me moving around them and shooting from them, um, looking at them, then moving on the side of the couch, shooting them, not moving at all. Like literally just moving around them while they're sitting on the couch, um, looking like, on their knees, looking on the backside, then you can even put them on their knees where they're just literally kneeling, basically. Um, They're on their knees and sitting with their butt down onto their feet, looking um, out towards the window, making sure that you have them face towards light or that you have those highlights from the light lighting up the areas of their body that you want to um, 
light up, which is, um, I think a key point is for people who don't understand lighting, I utilize lighting just like makeup. So if you understand makeup and you understand where highlights go on your body to contour, and you understand what needs to be lit up the forebrow of your nose, that is where you want the highlights of the light. So that is where you want the light to face, meaning if you have a, a window there, you want that to light up the areas of your body that is going to, um, that, that you want closer to the camera for the same reason that you would with makeup. So look at makeup tutorials, look at makeup shows, because they're going to help you understand where to pose and where to put that light based off of, um, where their body needs to be to bring that forward. And so back to the couch, keeping that couch and that light, keeping um, them on the couch, moving around that. Then from there, you can have them do the same thing as the bed where they're halfway on the couch. Now they're halfway on the um, halfway on the couch and halfway on the ground. And then from there, you put them all the way down onto the ground. So you, with just that, you're getting laying down on the couch, you're getting knees up and um, them on their knees. You get them looking over the backside of the couch then you can move them halfway, half up, half down onto the couch. You can use the arm of the couch and have them standing and sitting on that arm. You can also use it where they're laying on the ground and now their feet are on the couch. So right there, you have like several different areas just with the couch alone that if you don't have anything but a couch, you literally can probably have a full session of, you know, a hundred and something, 120, 20 plus images just using a couch alone. Wow. Yeah. And again, not only do you have that many poses as you described, but then on top of that, if you move in closer or move out further, you've got the close-up shots, the wider shots, maybe somewhere in between. You have the combination of, of all of the above. It's, um, I, I mean, you really have endless pictures here that you could deliver for your client and there would actually be variety in them. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's easy for photographers, especially shooting digitally, as we have been for so many years now to just snap, 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 and take pictures for the sake of taking pictures. You're actually right. talking about a flow here that would literally give them, you know, 60, 70, 80, a hundred different unique shots that they could choose from. And as right. you pointed out, you do it in an hour or less, which is even more brilliant. Um, and by the way, for anybody listening in, I mean, if, if you want some context to these poses, that Anna is describing, all you have to do is go to the Instagram page, to, to her Instagram page, Boudoir Ego, we'll put it in the show notes, and you can just scroll through and, and pretty much see representations of what she was talking about at each of these places there on the Instagram feed, uh, just a beautiful variety again. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. But I, Anna, this has been, I love practical information to be able to give to our listeners. It's been so practical, actionable, something that they can do for the sake of adding some variety and simplicity efficiency, really, to especially a boudoir session. And I really appreciate you making time to share with us. Will you just um, let us remind our listeners, we talked about the Instagram page. Your website is the same, correct? BoudoirEgo.com? BoudoirEgo.com. And um, Twitter's Boudoir Ego, everything, Facebook, Boudoir Ego. Um, so yeah, you can find me at Boudoir Ego. And um, if you are a photographer who needs education, I do teach um, business education and branding and marketing to photographers as well. Perfect. Well, we'll put all this information, contact information, social media, the website, everything in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. Thank you so much uh, for such practical, helpful information today. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>